Amen. Well, if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about purpose. Uh, see the invisible part two. If you weren't here last week, part one should be on the podcast. If you want to go listen to that, we'd encourage you to do so. But, but anyways, last week we began to talk about our God-given purpose. And more specifically, we talked about how God doesn't want to leave you and I wandering in the dark um, as if we're kind of grasping for, for straws. He doesn't want to leave us in some position in life where we're speculating, where we're guessing uh, what our purpose is. In fact, if you can kind of maybe, maybe get this mindset, okay, that there's theologians that believe this, that God's going to judge us according to our purpose. Now, to kind of clarify there, it doesn't mean he's going to judge us as far as if we go to heaven or hell. Jesus, and if we're saved, determines if we go to heaven or not. But, but what it talks about when we're being judged is talking about the, the rewards that we will get or, or the lack thereof according to our purpose. And so if you can imagine this, that here's God, and so many people think that God is hiding his purpose from us. Well, think about how cruel it would be for God to say, look, I'm going to judge you according to your purpose, but on the other hand, I'm not going to reveal it to you. Does that make sense to you guys today? So, so obviously we know the truth is that God is good, that he loves us, he's for us, he is our biggest supporter and encourager, and if I can use this word, he is our greatest cheerleader in life. It's this, that no one wants to see us succeed more than he does, that no one wants to see our lives count for something more than he does. And it's because of all those things, because of all those reasons, he wants to reveal his purpose for our lives. And not only that, not only does he want to reveal it, but he also wants to come and empower us and equip us to fulfill that purpose. Is that true? Yes, it is. So if, let me maybe kind of throw this thought out before we dive into today's part. If we are not living according to our purpose, our God-given purpose, we're just existing. And who wants to just exist, right? Who wants to just kind of float through life? Anybody? Yeah, not me either. I'd rather grab a hold of God's purpose for my life. So anyway, so let's dive in today. Um, over the past few days, I've been thinking about that word purpose. And as I've thought about that word purpose, I've thought about uh, really just, let me maybe say it this way, that there's six words that Jesus said over 2,000 years ago that kind of keeps resonating in my spirit. And those six words are simply this, for this purpose, I have come. For this purpose, I have come. Now, as I rolled those six words over and over again in my heart, I began to think about all of the reasons Jesus said he came. So once again, over 2,000 years ago, here's Jesus. When we read the Gospels, here are some of the reasons or some of the purposes Jesus said he came for. He said this. He said he came to seek and save that which was lost, that he came to call sinners to repentance, that he came to preach the gospel, he came to preach the good news, that he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom, that he came to defeat sin and death, that he came to die as the savior of the world. Isn't that good news? That he came as the light of the world so you and I wouldn't have to live in darkness. That he came to fulfill the law. That he came to redeem us from the curse of law of sin and death. That he came to give us new life. That he came that we might know abundant life. That he came to give us eternal life. That he came to bless us. That he came to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That he came to reveal grace and truth. That he came... To reveal the love of God, to reveal the father heart of God, to reveal sonship to us, that he came to restore us to God's family by the spirit of adoption, that he came as our substitute, as our mediator and our high priest, that he came to reveal a pattern of holy living, that he came to be our example, that he came to, and I love this, came to destroy the works of the devil, that he came to do the will of the father. Oh, that's really good, isn't it? Now, listen, here's the simple point that I want us to see. Said all that to say this. The moment that Jesus resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven, his earthly purpose was fulfilled. 
You get that? His earthly purpose was fulfilled. And once his earthly purpose was completed or fulfilled, it unlocked the door for us to step into our divine purpose. Now, it unlocked the door of possibilities. It unlocked the door of opportunity for us. Now, the reason I'm using the words opportunity and possibility is because of this. It's because even though that Jesus did his part to perfection, there was still a missing piece in the puzzle. Maybe to put it more plainly, and I think it'll be up here. But just because Jesus unlocked the door, it doesn't necessarily mean that we automatically walk through it. Now, you see, somewhere along the line, we had to connect or we had to collide with Jesus's purpose for coming. Do you get that? That my life somewhere along the line had to connect with Jesus's purpose for coming. It's kind of like this, that we as the sinner, we've all been here, that we as the sick, that we as the lost, that we as the one ones living in darkness, that we as the ones that were trapped in bondage, we had to somewhere collide with the savior of the world. Am I making sense to you today? That his story and my story somewhere along the line had to intersect before they could become one. So watch this. If we went around the room today and, and we just passed the mic and maybe one day we'll do this. I don't know. And we just begin to ask people, hey, tell us about your journey. Tell us about the road that led you to salvation. You, you know, uh, I think we'd find pretty quickly that there may be a few common uh, denominators there. But overall, across the room, everybody's story would be different. Is that true? But, but here's what I want us to understand today. The end result is the same. It's kind of like this. That at some crossroad in our lives, we collided with Jesus. That we encountered the one who is truth and grace. And in that moment, as we stood face to face, the one who is perfection. I don't know about you, but I became completely aware and convicted of my sin. Anybody else with me on that? Listen, as he removed the blinder from our eyes, faith rushed into our hearts and we believed. Literally in an instant where we were right before that, we said no. At that moment, we said yes to who he is and what he's done for us through the cross and resurrection. Listen, as we stood or we knelt or we laid before the Lord as we were in his presence, we experienced an unexplainable, unconditional love. I can say it this way, a father's embrace that we've never known before. Listen, in that moment of just the love of God being all over us, the goodness of God, it was in that moment of vulnerability we finally let down our defenses, cast aside our excuses, and we repented of our sins. Is that true? Listen, to this day, words can't explain it. We we literally felt the tender yet powerful hand of God literally lift the weight of sin off of our shoulders. And in that position of surrender, in that position of commitment, we literally felt the breath of God breathe new life into us. Isn't that so true? Listen, that is there that we became uh, born again family. It's that place that we became a new creation, that the old was gone, the new has come. It was there in that moment we became children of God. It was in that moment God's spirit came and took up residence inside of us. It's a great place to say amen. Listen, it was then and only then that when we got right with God, when once again, when our two, two um, purposes, maybe say it this way. Since the fall of man, man's purpose and God's purpose, man's will and God's will have been in opposite with one another. And they've been in a battle. But it was in that moment when we got right with him, when our lives intersected, that's when we truly stepped through the door of purpose that Jesus opened for us through his death and resurrection. Wave your hand at me if I'm making sense to you today. Amen. Listen, I, I've come to realize this and kind of shift, here, shift gears a little bit. But I've come to realize that for many Christians, when they come through that door, many times confusion kicks in and they get stuck. 
If you can almost imagine, it's like this, like Jesus opens this door of purpose, right? And all of us flood in. The door's going to shut. And literally, if you can imagine, almost like a log jam right here at the beginning. And it's so funny. We're saved, but we're not going anywhere. Y'all follow me? All we're doing is just kind of bumping into each other, fending each other, getting mad at each other. And we're just all stuck right here. And it's once again, it's not that we're not saved. And it's not that we don't want to go anywhere. We just don't know where to go. See, it kind of happens like this. Proverbs seventeen twenty four tells us what needs to happen when we walk through that door. Look at this verse. It says, an intelligent person aims at wise action. Somebody say wise action. It says, but a fool starts off in many directions. So it's kind of like this. There's a lot of people that come through the door and they get here and then they begin to ask, hey, man, what's your purpose? Hey, what's your purpose? And then they try to make that guy's purpose theirs, that guy's purpose. And then they just kind of start and all we get called up is in busyness. And we get caught up in task and we get caught up in just and just, uh, you know, just play in church instead of actually having traction and going somewhere. Y'all follow me today. So it's, it's this thing. Instead of instead of running crazy in that moment, we need to stop and we need to go, OK, what is wise action? And here's what I've found that uh, and I'm going to talk to you for this a few minutes, that wise action really starts with a wise question. The wise action always starts with a wise question. Let me show you a verse that probably everybody in the room, most of us in this room are familiar with. Let's look at Acts 9, 3 through 6. We know that this is a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. Before he became the Apostle Paul, he was Saul, and this is his conversion. But there's a few things I want us to learn from this today. It says this. It says, he, once again Saul, journeyed. He came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground. Somebody say collide. It's where this guy collided with God. And then it says, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? The Lord said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Let me pause right there for a minute. A goad is simply this. It's basically a stick that had a pointy thing on the end, and they would poke oxen with it to get them to move. Now, here's basically what Jesus was telling him. He was saying, basically, look, Paul, you have been uh, basically convicted of the things that you've been doing. We all know that Paul was killing Christians, right? So if there's anybody in this room who thinks you've done too much... This guy was killing Christians. You haven't done too much, all right? So it's the grace of God, thankfully. So here he is, he's saying, look, you know, in other words, you keep kicking against the goads. In other words, you keep suppressing the conviction you've been feeling. And so, listen, today, I'll just use me as an example. I remember when I was a young guy, I've told you guys before, I would go to church with my neighbors because I wanted to play on the church basketball team. Okay, when you're five, eight and a half and white and can't jump that great, you go to the church to play basketball. Right. So that's the only league that will accept you. All right. I had a sweet jump shot back in the day. Do not have it anymore. Right. I build brick houses now. But anyways, so so we'd go to the church. We would play. But to, to play on the team, you had to go to church and I would go to church and I would and I would sit in the pew and it was in the, the, the very back. Because that was safer and closer to the door. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And the pastor would get up there in this really small country Baptist church. And uh, County Line Baptist Church is the name of it. And he had begun to preach. And they had sing that, that old hymn, uh, Come Just As You Are. Come just, is that how it goes? 
No, that's Crystal Lewis. I'm talking about a hymn. Anyway, so there, there was an old hymn that, that they had seen basically about coming to the cross. And I'm telling you, the, the Lord would begin to deal with me so strongly in that moment. And, and literally to the point of where my heart would be racing, my palms would begin to get sweaty. And, I get, and I'd just be like this. Oh, God, please let this man stop calling and asking us to come to the altar. I'm so afraid, right? And so what happens was, is that was me. I would literally, he would, he would close the service. I'd go, made it through that one. And then I'd go and, you know, it was an old country church. So the pastor was always there to shake your hand. And I'd go like this. <laughs> Truth. I didn't, I didn't want to look in those eyes, man. You know, scary, right? That's the man of God. And so. Anyways, but, but what happened was, is that was me kicking against the goads. That was me basically trying to suppress the conviction that I felt for my sin. So here it is. Paul is here having this counter with Jesus. And he says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And verse 6 says, so he, Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord. Somebody say, Lord. Lord. At this moment, understand, that's the moment right there that it wasn't some long, long prayer. It was an acknowledgment. Saul got born again. That was his collision with God. That's where he got right with God. That's where God gripped his heart. And and literally that moment, he was a changed man. That collision course at that crossroad of life came together right there. And at that moment, if you can imagine that Saul just stepped through that door. But watch what happens next. And here's where we're going to learn today. It says, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Once again, a wise action began with a wise question. And then it says, the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Once you notice a few things here, the first one is this, is that when it comes to discovering our purpose, the question is never, what do I want to do? This is so simple and so practical. But when we discover our purpose, it is never, what do I want to do? So often, you, you know, for, for being a youth pastor, as long as I was, was and a college and career pastor, and I ran a school of ministry, all those things that I used to do, uh, of, of getting, you know, working with this age group that was in this trans, transition in life, trying to figure out what they were going to do with their life. So often, that was their question. What do I want to do? And a lot of times with people... Their question was really, was really this. We'll just shoot straight. Is how can I make the most money and be successful in life? Had nothing to do with their passion. They just wanted to go make this. Y'all follow me? So they would get there and, and uh, I cannot tell you how many kids, this was so funny, that, that couldn't even start on their varsity football team would tell me every week, PQ, I'm going to the NFL. <laughs> no, I was laughing because he knows them. So... But literally, all these people, they had all these things here, but all it was is what they wanted to do. And if it wasn't about money, a lot of times it was about how they could get notoriety, how they could be successful in someone else's eyes. And so it was always, once again, about themselves. But I want you to know today, as Christians, it is always what Paul said, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? You all follow me today. See, let me, let me maybe throw this out there. You might have got born again 30 years ago, but it still doesn't mean that you can't still ask that question today. You, you know, there's a reason, man, the mercies of God are new every day, right? Every day is a new day in the kingdom. It's a new day with him. So, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Now, remember what we, two verses we read last week, because the same guy that asked that question wrote these two verses. Like I said, we read them last week, but Galatians 1.16 says this, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Paul knew that. 
Ephesians 1.11 says, It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Now watch this. Using Paul once again as an example, the Bible says that even Paul spoke about himself. Pretty much out of all the people that were in his group of people, uh, there was no one more zealous for doing the things of God more than him. Think about that. And here he is when he said, okay, what am I going to do for God? He thought it was the right thing to do to go persecute Christians, throw them in jail, right? Literally, we know that he you know, held the clothes of people that stoned and killed Christians. And so here he is because he was the one that gave the order. That he was the one, even on his way to Damascus, he was going to go get more Christians, or what they actually called the people of the way at that time. So here's this guy that was zealous for God, but he never stopped and asked God, what do you want me to do? So he just assumed that the right thing for him to do was to go persecute Christians. So a lot of times what we think is good isn't always God. Right. So a lot of times because we, you know, maybe we see a need, and we think, man, that's the right thing to do. Sometimes it may be the right thing, but you may be the wrong person. And listen, it is it is not our role. Like if, if Michael is not doing what God called him to do, it's not my position to do what he's supposed to do. I'm supposed to do what I'm supposed to do. So often we, we, we blur the lines and we feel like we got to make up for everybody else. No, no, no. There's no anointing to make up for everybody else. There's only anointing to do what God's called me to do. You all follow me? See, I personally believe that Paul recognized and, and I won't, I, I believe all of us recognize this and know this, but I, I just feel like I need to say it. But, but I personally believe Paul recognized that he wasn't saved for no reason. Meaning this, that I believe he knew he was called to advance a cause greater than himself. That he was called to build someone else's kingdom. Meaning he collided with God so that he could, uh, so that he could not, you know, he didn't collide with God so he could achieve personal happiness or personal success. He was living for something and someone bigger than himself. So watch this, just kind of thought for you. It doesn't really matter what part of the marketplace that God puts us in. At the end of the day, we're still there to build the kingdom. We're still there to advance the kingdom. Truth? In other words, there's like, you know, like Miss Vicky talked about last week. I thought it was a beautiful example, the, uh, the bowls that she used. And she used that, uh, you know, the smallest bowl was the, was the task bowl. We all have that. We all have to uh, provide for our families. We all have to, we all have to give money. We, you know, it's the way the system works. But we can't, we can't lose sight and lose focus that we're still immersed in the big bowl, which is God. It's God's big dream. And that's the thing that as far as my task is still a part of that, that I'm still functioning in that world. Are y'all following me? I got all kinds of thoughts rolling around my head here, and I'm trying to make it clear. Yes. So, so I, you know, I think even sitting, even sitting Wednesday night in the class, uh, I think that was one of the biggest things that I walked away from is just, man, that my purpose, my vision, my mission, uh, my goals, my tasks, all of that is immersed in God. And so, you, you know, once again, I've said this before, but it's not like you know, uh, you know, here's my job, here's my family. And over here, man, this is my church. And over here is my relationship with God. It, no, it's just, man, here's, it's all God. And it all flows from there. And, and what happens is that I get in trouble because I, because I try to compartmentalize it. And then, and then what happens is because I'm not putting enough attention there, I feel guilty. If I'm not putting enough attention there, I feel guilty. But the bottom line is if I just realize that everything comes from one spot, it kind of relieves all that. Yes? So... 
let me show you this verse here, once again, of knowing that we're living for a bigger purpose than ourselves. Look at 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9 with me. It says this. This is Paul talking, once again. He says, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Notice verse 9. It says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Somebody says to me, say, God saved me. God saved me. He called me. With a holy calling. Notice the next part. It says, not according to our works. You didn't have to say that, but that's okay. Here we go. We'll we'll go with it. Not according to our works. But according to his own purpose and grace. Now, don't repeat the next part. Here we go. It says, which was given to us in Christ Jesus when? Before time began. That goes so beautiful with Ephesians 2.10 that we quoted last week. But, but notice this. It says, but according to his own purpose and his grace. Which means that, once again, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. But when we step out and do something that's not according to his purpose, there's no grace for it. it says it right there. Now, let me, let me kind of maybe share something with you. I, I read this. Uh, the other day, this is Daniel Kalinda. If you ever heard of, anybody ever heard of Reinhardt Bunky? Reinhardt Bunky. If you get bored, type in Reinhardt Bunky, be blown away. All right? Go to YouTube. This guy has seen, uh, uh, I think God gave him a vision that in, in, ten, in 10 years, 100,000 people would, no, 100, it was 10 million, I think. 10 million people would come to the Lord to be saved. And it's happened. And, uh, I mean, you go, you go watch these guys, uh, crusades in Africa. It is a, a sea of people. I mean, literally from, from front of the stage to the back, you can't, you can't see anything but people. You know, raising the dead, miracles, all that has happened in this guy. Well, this young guy, uh, Daniel Kalinda, has taken over that ministry. So, anyways, he, he gave uh, an illustration to prove the point of what we're talking about. And I just want to read it to you. Really simple. Quieten up. Stop. Hush. <laughs> Jen's like, you want to tell him it's your kid? That's my kid. You don't tell another woman to tell her kid to be quiet. I'm smarter than that. So <laughs> so check this out. It says this. Hey, son. Son. Shh. All right. Here we go. It says thousands had gathered to witness the brief spectacle that would unfold between the white sand and blue sky, the largest theater on earth. Says we waited for what seemed like ages with our eyes trained on the horizon. No one wanted to miss the big moment, and then it happened. Says what an amazing sight. Even from quite a distance, the eruption of energy was awe-inspiring. The solid rocket boosters, we're talking about basically a, 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 a NASA launch here, okay? It says the, the solid, let me go back. Uh, even from quite a distance, the eruption of energy was all inspiring. The solid rocket boosters ignited, producing an explosion that generated 2.9 million pounds of thrust at liftoff. That's a lot. The ground began to tremble as the spacecraft raced skyward, leaving a thick trail of smoke behind. Within seconds, it had broken the bonds of gravity and was out of sight. He says, I stood on the beach in Titusville, Florida, with my wife and kids in amazement as we watched up close, history in the making, the final launch of the space shuttle Atlantis. Then he says this, after the shuttle penetrated the mesosphere, says at an altitude of about 31 miles, which is so the, the, the uh, shuttle is about 31 miles up in the air. It says the rocket boosters that had expended themselves were no longer needed and were injected, were ejected to return to Earth. Y'all get that? 
All right, here we go. Nice sound effects. As Atlantis was racing to space for the final time, I saw in those powerful boosters an equally splendid metaphor. This is really good. It says, the rockets, though powerful, do not exist for themselves. They are designed to propel something forward that is greater than they are. Their glory is in exhausting themselves for a superior purpose. And then it says this, and this is so true about our lives. Long after they have fallen away, the shuttle will keep moving forward. It is the shuttle and its mission that give meaning to the rocket's existence. So here's what we're saying. We're saying that our purpose is always attached to God's big mission, his dream. We're co-laboring with him. In fact, it's God's mission, just like those rockets. It's God's mission that gives meaning to our existence. Yes? Say that again. It's God's mission that gives meaning to our existence. Let me show you a verse here. Hang tight with me. Maybe give me about 15 more minutes and we'll be done. I want to remind you of, of just kind of that in mind about co-laboring with God, okay? And, and, and maybe let me, let me go ahead and say this. Um, just stay the course. Remember what Jesus said in John twenty twenty one. It's a powerful verse. He says, as my Father has sent me. What's the next part? Can't get more clear than that, can it? As my Father has sent me, I also send you. Meaning in the same way. That the Father sent Jesus. Jesus has now turned around once again because his purpose is complete. And he's saying, now I'm going to send you. So watch this. The word send there actually means this. It means set apart for a special service. That's you. It means to be sent out with a mission to fulfill. And I love this last part. Equip and dispatch one with the full backing and authority of the sender. Isn't that good? You know, that's that part where it talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It talks about us being ambassadors of Christ. You know, that's the part, once again, that we go out. We have the full backing and the full authority of Jesus because he's the one that sent us. Is, is Jesus powerful? Oh, yeah. So that's the authority that we step out in. But once again, watch this. When we step out and we do it our way, that authority backs off. But when we do it his way, his authority pushes us forward and moves through us. So it's really this, maybe if you don't grab anything today, grab a hold of this, one thing. That his purpose, all those things that we listed at the beginning, all those things are now our purpose. Because what, what our job is now, if we're at work, if we're at school, whatever we're doing, you've got to do your task. But at the end of the day, the reason your mission being there is because you've got to point people to Jesus. And this is where maybe I would encourage you guys, if you're not super confident like I was, I was talking to my, my buddy the other day, Pastor Ben, and he said that they were in a neighborhood and they were uh, passing out something. I can't remember what they were giving out. They were giving stuff to people and they were knocking on doors and handing them stuff. And, and Pastor Ben said to one of their volunteers, he said, look, if the opportunity arises, man, take the opportunity and share Jesus with them. And, and the, the lady, uh, not being rebellious in that, she said, um, I don't know how to do that. 
And so he took a minute and taught her how to do that. And obviously it takes sometimes more than a minute. But there's that piece. If, if you're not confident in pointing people to Jesus, then I would encourage you to get before the Lord and pray and begin to do uh, study, begin to research. Go, God, can you show me how I can communicate the gospel to other people? Because the bottom line is we're all, we're all really called. If you want what your purpose is, we're real, it's all really wrapped up in Matthew 28, 19, to make disciples. And you can't make disciples if people aren't getting born again. Yes? All right. Second thing I want us to see from the, the thing with Paul is this. The second thing is this. is that Notice the Lord's answer to his question. When he said, what should I do? The Lord said, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Somebody say movement. Listen, he guides us, but only as we're moving. You get that? You, you know, I, I, I don't know if the correlation is right, but I keep thinking about when Elijah ran from Jezebel, and then, you know, it's so funny, it's like he, he outran the chariots, and he finds himself sitting under a tree, and he's all worn out. What does the Lord say to him? Why are you sitting here? Because why? Because the Lord only guides as he moves, as we move, right? So it's kind of like this. Think about this, um, you know, especially you fellas in the room. How many times have, have we uh, tried to go get behind a car and push the doggone thing, and then, you know... Basically, and it's not going anywhere, and we think that somebody's going to steer it. You, you know, here, I'll just use this analogy. You know, your wife gets in the front, right, and she's trying to steer, and you're trying to beast that, you know, couple thousand-pound vehicle somewhere, and it's not moving, but yet you're wanting her to steer it into the driveway. You, right? So it's, it's kind of like this. It's, um, once again, think about trying to steer a car while it isn't moving. It's a whole lot easier to steer a vehicle in a specific direction when it's rolling, when it has momentum. So the key for you and I discovering and fulfilling our purpose really comes down to this truth, is that heaven moves when we decide to get involved. Heaven moves when we decide to get involved. And I want to show you uh, just a real quick story here. We'll go quick. In fact, write it down just to save time. John 2, 1 through 12. John 2, 1 through 12. This is Jesus' first miracles where he turned water into wine. He's at the, uh, the wedding in Cana. But I want you to watch what happens here, okay? And hopefully I can communicate this well. But here's Jesus. He says that him and the disciples were invited to the wedding. And so they're hanging out in the wedding. They're a few days in this thing because, you know, we, we, we dread go to weddings now that last an hour. These guys lasted a week. And, you know, they're a few days in. And then Mary walks over to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, uh, they're out of wine. And Jesus said, woman, and that wasn't a derogatory term, but he said, woman, what does that have to do with me? It is not my time. True story, right? We all know that. But, but notice what Mary does. Mary blows off what Jesus says, right? And she says, turns to the servants and say, do whatever he tells you to do. Right? Then after the, the servant stepped up, he, Jesus then said, Hey, get those pots. We know it was like uh, 30 gallons of water that it held. And, and we know he turned the water into the wine. And, uh, and then it says that, uh, you know, basically he, he manifested his glory. And then the disciples believed. But watch this. Notice, notice that Jesus didn't engage, that Jesus didn't manifest his glory, that the miracle didn't happen, and that heaven didn't move until the servants got involved. Y'all follow me. So it's kind of like this. Why isn't nobody getting saved? Are you involved? 
Have you engaged? Why is nobody getting healed? Are you involved? Are you engaged? It's like this, that, that you know, so often we sit back and we think that, that uh, we're waiting on heaven and heaven's really waiting on us. You know, follow me. That, it, that it's this, as we begin to move forward and we begin to do what the word of God tells us to do, then guess what? Then the purpose comes and direction comes and God begins to move and miracles begin to happen. But as long as we're sitting there in front of the door, picking our noses, going, God, where am I going? What am I going to do? What do you want me to do? It, it, and truth is, it's in the book. Read it. Yeah, read the book, do the book, and watch what God will do. It's really that simple. Amen? Is that too straightforward? <laughs> A little bit? All right, here we go. Let me encourage you with this. Last thing. All right. Whatever. It is what it is. Let me give you another example. Um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to, uh, no, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll just go with Exodus 3. Write it down. Exodus 3. Once again, I mentioned this last week, but, but notice something. Here's, here's Moses, and um, it says that, uh, actually, I, I do. I want to read it because I want you all to see something. Turn to Exodus 3. I, I don't have it for the screens. Is this helping you all at all? Last thing, and we'll pray. Here we go. Exodus 3. <laughs> I'm saying Exodus, and I'm working my way to Genesis 3. All right, here we go. Exodus 3. Here we go. Let's just start in verse 1 because it sounds like a good place to start. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And then it says, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. It says, So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Verse 3 says, Then Moses said, I will now turn aside. Notice the movement. I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside... Get that. So when the Lord saw the movement, the engagement, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Verse five. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Verse six. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. This is key. Please remember that. I have seen. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know for I know their sorrow. And then it says, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and Hittites and the Amorites and the Parasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And this says, now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you. Watch this. I'm going to tell you pretty much how purpose and vision comes for our life. It's the most practical I can get right here today, Okay. I want you to notice that again and again and again, God said, I have seen, I have heard, right? Did we say that? He said, I'm going to do this. And so, you know, so often I think we do this, simple, practical. A lot of times we go into prayer calls and we go, and we go stuff like this. Um, 
God, do you not see that? God, are you not going to do something about that? Are you, are you, anybody ever done that? Like you see some injustice, you see something's not being done, you see something that's not right. And you go, God, are you going to do something? And I think at that moment, we need to begin to ask ourselves not, you know, the question really is not this. God, are you going to do something? The question is really this. God, are you letting me see this for a reason? That's the right question in the moment. God, are you letting me see this for a reason? And then the next question is, God, do you want me to do something about it? Are you all following me? Because here's kind of, once again, here's the practical part. Vision and purpose really come down to this. It's when God chooses to show us what should be. And not only what should be, but what could be. That's really where vision and purpose comes from. When when we're looking at something and God's God's given us that moment where we have, you know, we've, we've done the same thing for the last 20 years. We've never noticed that. But for some reason in the last three months, that thing keeps messing with me. Anybody ever been there? And instead of me going, instead of me getting mad at the church because the church isn't doing something about it, maybe I need to stop and go, hmm, God, are you letting me see that for a reason? Are you showing me that? And, and, and then what happens is, once again, God begins to show you not only what should be, but what could be. And it kind of goes like this. that God begins to show you, we're talking about purpose here, what could be in your life, what could be in your family's life, what could be in your church, what could be in the town, the region, state, what could be in your schools, what could be in your business. And what happens is, is that is that should be really does this as you take that should be. And then God begins to give you this vision of what could be. And it's called a burden that really begins to sit on you. And then from the personal prayer closet, you begin to pray and believe God for a strategy. And let me help you out in this. It's not just from praying. God, give me a strategy. But most time when God speaks to me is when I'm just worshiping. When my heart's open and pure and he drops something in me, okay? And so it's in that moment that God begins to give me a strategy. Once again, not what should be, but what could be. Now he's showing me how to make it to be. And then what happens is, is as you begin to work that strategy, it becomes to start being a will be. Because you're moving and you're starting to see things happen. And then it is, it, it just, it is. God performs it and makes it happen. Are you all following me? See, see, there's this thing that when we came here to Maine and other people came to Maine, that in fact, this church where it was planted is there was a dream of what could be in this town. And not only what, what, once again, not what should be, but what could be if somebody would stand in the gap and say, God, will you do it here? Are you following me? And then what happens is God began to bring other people to come and join a part of that vision to go, okay, then how can we affect this region? Because, once again, I say this all the time, but it's so not just about us being satisfied that there's a few of us sitting here today. Because there's a whole lot of other people sitting out there. Right? Celebrating that the Pats won last night. I'm going too long here, but, you know, I work at the pitch on Monday nights because I like football and they asked me to kind of help out in that area. And so, anyways, I was sitting over there and, and... The owner and I, we had been talking about a different schedule, a different plan. So I was running it by a few, uh, a few of the players that were there. And I said, hey, instead of doing this Monday nights, what if we did on Sunday nights? And a certain team, uh, young guys are in construction, a few of them are lobstering. They, um, they started giving me their reasons of why they wanted to do it on Monday night. And finally, one guy just looked at me. And, you know, all of them know I'm a pastor. And, uh, and one of them looked at me and he just said, what they're trying to tell you is on Sunday they're still hungover. 
And, you know, one guy was saying, you know, it's really our day of rest and it's our day. Of... <laughs> and so this guy was like, basically, they're all hungover and they're trying to recover, man. That's why they need the next day. But in that moment, I'm going to tell you what I saw. I saw hopelessness. That's what it said to me. I saw I saw people who just need hope and that they just need the gospel. Right. You, you know, a lot of us in this room, we've been there. I've been there. Right. So there is no judgment to them. Just somewhere along the line, my eyes were opened. Right. And so there's that part of going, man, that's what we're called to bring to this region. That's what we need to you know, sink our teeth in and believe God for. That's our purpose is to bring hope to a region. But it has to start in our houses, it has to start in our own hearts. Right. And then it starts. In, and once again, that's believing that God will do what he said he'll do. And then our families got to start believing that. And then we start working out from there. As a church, we can do a lot of powerful things in this community. If we all just start running in the same direction. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Amen. So just uh, just for a few seconds, just with every eye closed and every head uh, bowed, please. I, you know, there at the beginning, we begin to talk about the purpose, the reason that Jesus came. And we said that he came to seek and save that which is lost. And he came to look for us. He came to uh, redeem us. He came to save us. And, and we begin to talk about there a few minutes later, talking about the whole process of, of kind of getting right with God. And so, you know, I don't really need to expound real greatly on that in this moment. But I do want to give an opportunity that if you're here today and you're not right with him, if you're not right with God, if you know that uh, you're still stuck in a place that um, that he's not, and you want to get right with him. If that's you, just lift your hands, please. Just throw a hand up. Nobody's going to judge you. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Anybody else says, "Man, today is today's my day. I got to get right with God." Awesome. You can put your hands down. Okay. If you're with me today, and you'll just say this, man, Pastor, I'll come in agreement with you, and we'll just take a second. We'll just ask God that. That uh, wise question of God, what do you want to do? Not what do I want to do, but what do you want to do? Lift both hands. We're going to ask God that. It's not about what I want, it's about what you want, God. Yeah. Let's pray into that. Father, we thank you for every hand that's up today, Lord, mine included. Uh, Lord, we want to be a people that's not about what we want to do, but God, it's about what you want to do. God, we don't want to be a people that's just stuck at the door or trying to run around in a whole bunch of different directions, hoping that we can kind of get a, uh, you know, a bit of wisdom from somebody else to, to kind of give us a reason or give us a meaning or to give us a passion. God, we believe you're the one that deposits passion in us. You're the one that puts those desires. So, Lord, today we just ask the same question that Paul asked you all those years ago. Lord, what do you want me to do? God, in this moment, just as he said there with uh, Paul, that obviously you had been messing with him. You've been trying to show him the way to go. Uh, Lord, if there's things that you've been showing us and we haven't recognized that you're showing it to us, Lord, we just ask in this moment, God, why are you showing that to us? And do you want us to do something about it? God, is there something that you're showing us that not only should be but could be and you're wanting us to engage just like you uh, engage with Moses and said, I'm sending you, just as Jesus said that he's sending us. Lord, is there something that you're sending us to today? God, would you, would you make it really plain and really clear today? Thanks for not hiding that from us.
Father, and I'm asking, God, if you're speaking in this moment or maybe you're going to speak to us in the next few days as we pray and seek you, Lord, I'm asking, God, that you would give us the courage to step out in it because, Lord, that's really the the enemy's number one way to keep us from stepping out. In fact, I'm just going to tell you guys this. A lot of times the things that God wants to use us in the most is what we're afraid of the most because the devil comes and puts fear there. So, Father, we just pray today that the fear in that those areas would be broken. And, God, that we wouldn't be timid, we wouldn't be scared, we wouldn't be shy. But, Lord, that we would have courage and boldness, God, to step out and do what you've called us to do. So, Lord, today I bless your people. Those that just said today that, man, I'm just not right with God. Father, I pray. Uh, Lord, they've all made decisions for you somewhere along the line. Father, thank you for helping them to just walk in fellowship with you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. God, just shedding, uh, just literally pouring over them today. Lord, we just bless your people. God, thank you for just giving us, even in the morning, to go, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do today? God, help us to point people to Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 You can stay standing.